Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll continue our study of the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read the prayer of Paul, which we're studying, verse 15, starting verse 15. And then I'm going to read down through um, verse 7 of chapter 2, because this, this chapter break uh, is not in a helpful place. And uh, I, want to, I want you to begin to see the connection between all of these together. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understandings, or some of your words more correctly say hearts being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you also walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you that what we've read is true about us today. And we pray that you will help us, that we will grasp it with a greater depth a greater reality, a greater joy, a greater power, a greater understanding that will lead to a greater transformation of our understanding of what you have done for us, who we are, what we have in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, help us, we pray. Help us by the power, the ministry, the work of your Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts. Work in our minds as we grasp these things and work in our hearts Work in our souls, transform us, we pray, that all that you have for us, Father, we would experience and know. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Springtime has come, and springtime shows the power of life. The power of life. I want you to think about those two things together. The power of life. We see life all around us in the springtime. We see these dead trees starting to bloom and to blossom, and all of a sudden these leaves start. We see, we see all of these beautiful flowers just springing out of the ground. It's just life. You can't stop it. You may not have even planted it. We see grass growing. We see fields growing, and we see uh, geese with all these little babies walking behind them, and we, we, see, we see all of this life going on. We've had lots of babies born here in the church, and, and each one of them brings life, and they bring power, and they, they transform the, the, the household, and they stir the whole household up, and, and they, they move us very deeply, and there's something very powerful about life and, and growth, and, and life is power in that sense. And that's why when, when, when the Bible speaks of Jesus, it speaks of him, all things were created through him, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is life, and that's what we're going to look at today, and I want you to think, I'm trying to help us right now in our heads be ready for this, I want you to think of power and life and all of these things, because these are what Paul is praying that we would understand that we have. Now, to review where, we're, where we've come from, we are in Ephesians 1.15 now, where Paul begins a prayer. And the prayer is he's literally praying that the reality of what he said in verses 3 through 14, which we took several weeks to try to wade through, and I still feel like we've just scratched the surface. But throughout all of that beautiful, beautiful truth that's in 3 to 14, Paul is now sort of praying it praying for the for the Ephesians and praying for us as it were that this stuff would be sort of locked into us and and become real and living and vibrant in us and so he prays he prays for the uh, Ephesians and look at verse 17 he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your hearts being enlightened in other words he wants them to be wise he is, praying, he is praying that they would be, he would be wise. Think of it this way. He, for us, he's praying that we would be wise. Wise in what? Wise, knowledgeable, wise, understanding of what God has done for us in Christ. He wants them to be wise. And notice he wants them to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Remember when I taught on this, I said it's that spirit of, aha, wow, now I get it. That's what he wants us to have. He's praying for that, that God would open the eyes of our heart. They would be enlightened, and we would go, what? Wow, amazing. You gave this to me? You've done this for me? And what is he praying for? That this wisdom and revelation about what? Three things. Number one, verse 18, the hope of our calling. We've, prayed, we've, we've, taken, we've dealt with that. The riches of his glory, of, his, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So those are the two, that we would understand the hope that we have, that we would understand how rich we are in Christ Jesus and what we're about to inherit, okay? So now he comes to the third request, all right? And the third request is this. He wants us to have that revelation, that aha, that what, wow, this is amazing understanding and knowledge of, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? So he's praying that we would be wise and understand and have a revelation of God's power toward us. That's the theme today. God's power 
toward us. Now let's take this apart. Let's look at it in detail because the Holy Spirit led Paul to write each adjective, each verb, each noun. And we are going to look at these so that we can get the full richness of this. And in fact, it's a lot of work in this text. You know why? Because Paul uses four different words to describe power. And then he throws a bunch of adjectives at it too. Because Paul is trying to describe something that is so immense and so wonderful and almost indescribable that he has to use four words for power, okay? Like, for instance, just look at verse 19. First of all, he says, he's praying that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Not just his power, but his great power. And not just his great power but is exceeding great power. And the word there, exceeding, means surpassing all limits. Think about the greatest power that you can think of, and then this power is astronomically greater than that. He wants you to understand the exceeding greatness of God's power. Now here, the first, that's the word, the first power word that he uses in verse 19, the first of the four. Power. It's the Greek word dunamis, which as soon as you hear that, you're just like, dunamis? That's like dynamite. And that's exactly where dynamite comes from. And this word means power that is inherent power. It's unstoppable power. It's power that nothing can resist. It's power that no challenge is too great for. It's that explosive power that nothing can stop. That's what dunamis means. Now, notice what Paul goes on to say. Verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power, his dunamis, toward us, toward us, for us, operative in our lives. Now, more on that in just a few minutes, but just hang, hang, keep that in mind. Who believe, now notice again, he's going to start using power words. According to the working, the working, that's actually a power word. Listen to it in Greek, energeo, energy, energy. This word means power in action. According, so he says dunamis, dunamis, and then working. So, for instance, think of dynamite. Think of dynamite. I'm reading a book, because I'm weird, but I'm reading a book on the, the making of the Panama Canal. And to be honest with you, I'm not weird because it was an absolutely astounding thing, the Panama Canal being made. But one of the things that they had to do is they had to blow away this whole mountain, okay? And one of the things, they, they used like 100 million tons of dynamite overall. And they actually, you know, by hand, they would chisel in, then they would put the dynamite in, then they would put the fuses in, then they would link the fuses up, then they would run like the Dickens. And they actually blew up tons of men. They said sometimes in a day there'd be men just, body parts just flying everywhere. Now, when they had the dynamite and they put the dynamite in, that is potential power. That is potential power. But when that dynamite is lit, bow, that's power in energy, in action. And that's the word that Paul is using here. I think of it this way. Think of it, if you've ever seen drag cars. Drag cars are sitting there, and their lights are going red, 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 green. And while they're going red, 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 the thing is shaking. And then when it goes green, pow, it takes off. Or a, or, or a plane that's on an on a, a aircraft carrier, and, and you've ever seen them taking off, the power of the engine gets so high that you can it, it hurts your ears, and then pow, that thing takes off. That's the word that Paul is using here. According to the working of this mighty power, the dunamis that he mentions in, the, in verse 19 now becomes explosive. According to the explosion, and then notice the, he uses two more words. 
according of the mighty power. So he's, he's used power. That's one word, dunamis. Then he's used working, energeo. And then he used the word mighty, which is a Greek word, kratos. And then he uses another word for power, which in English we've run out of words, so we just translated power again. And this this idea that God has this explosive, mighty power. And sometimes the word power that Paul uses is energetic power. Sometimes it's just resonant power. It's just resonant power. Have you ever seen somebody who's just massively big and muscular? Massively big and muscular. Guy looks like he can pick up a tractor. This, you, you think, man, that guy's got so much power, so much strength. That's one of the words that Paul is using here. Uh, that's the word that's translated mighty. It's, called, it's like a massive resonant power, a massive resonant power. And then the final word that he uses for power can be defined a force to overcome any resistance. It's, it's, it's a force that's so great that, that, that it's mighty. When, when I was a kid, there was a movie called King Kong, okay? And it was the old King Kong. And, and King Kong climbs the Empire State Building. And when he does, the movie's so old that the planes that attack King Kong, because he's got this woman in his hand, and, and the planes that attack him and, and everything. And he was such a nice little big monkey, but, but they, uh, they didn't like him. But anyway, they're biplanes. They like have two wings. But King Kong's just like, he's just like whacking them away. They're nothing. And that's this idea of power here is this, resonant power that, that nothing can overcome. It just bats away like greatest power. And Paul is saying this. I am praying that God would help you and give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would understand the exceeding greatness of his power that is at work in your life and that has been directed toward you, that has been directed towards you in your salvation. By this working of this mighty active power. That's what he's saying in verse 19. Now in verse 20, he begins to open up how he's illustrating this power. And notice what he says. Look at verse 20. Which he worked in Christ Jesus. And that's again that word energeo. Which he worked in Christ Jesus. By raising him from the dead. By raising him from the dead. So here he focuses, first of all, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Paul's thinking, Jesus Christ was a man. He was fully God and fully man, but he's fully man. He was beaten. He was, he, they put a crown of thorns upon his head. He carried his cross, his cross up, up the hill. He was nailed to that cross. He was hung on that cross. Blood poured down his, 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 from his hands. Blood poured down from his feet. He bled. He was bleeding, bleeding, bleeding for hours, for hours and hours. And then he died. They shoved a spear in his side and blood and water came out. And then they took his limp body, his lifeless body off of the, off of the cross. And he just kind of fell upon them and, and fell. And they, they wrapped him and they took him. And they put that dead, lifeless body in a tomb. And it laid there for hours and hours, days. It laid there for three days. It got cold. Uh, the, the, the rocks, the body took on the temperature of the rocks that it was laying on. The, bo the, the body was cold on, in, that, in, that, in that, uh, that cave, as it were, that they did. And then all of a sudden, the power of God, the energy of God, the magnificent power of God comes upon him, and he opens his eyes. And he starts to breathe. And he sits up. And he walks out. It's a power greater than life. But there's something different about this resurrection. See, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. 
Jesus raised the widow of Nain's son from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and yet they all died again. But this power that raised Jesus from the dead is a power that brings this man to life never to die again. Never to die again. It's an eternal power. It's a power that will, that will never, never, never end. Death will never come upon him again. And we know that because then notice what he says next. And he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The second thing that he did, and this was an exercise of God's power, is that he gave him supreme power over everything. He literally said, you will now sit next to me and you will rule with me as my co-equal, my co-ruler. We will rule as God together. You are and authority equal with me, and now I work in coordination, in conjunction. I work with you. I make my decisions through you, with you. We are we are together. Now, 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 now think about this for a second. What Jesus is still human. He's still the Son of Man, and yet he's glorified now as also Son of God. And so, sitting next to God on His throne is the Nazarene carpenter, the guy who went to work and took a lunchbox, the guy who climbed a ladder with, with, with wood and with, with shingles or whatever they did, the guy who, who laid brick and laid stone, the guy who said, could you bring me a level, the guy who said, could you hand me a hammer, the guy who lived and, and worked, the guy who was a poor rabbi, who walked, the guy who was arrested, the guy who was shamefully, shamefully charged, the guy who was shamefully and, and embarrassingly executed and made fun of and laughed at, whose enemies triumphed over him, God raised him from the dead and gave him the authority that is above every single authority and seated him right at his right hand. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 21. Far above, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named. He put Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the carpenter, Jesus the poor rabbi, Jesus the crucified hanged man who's hanging on a cross and being laughed at, spit upon, Jesus, he put him far above all principality, all power, all and every name that can be named. This is an exercise and an act of God's power. God's authority, he made him boss, he made him king, he made him lord. He gave him power over every nation, power over every king, power over every demon, power over every archdemon, power over the devil himself, power over every angel, power over every archangel, power over every being that lives out there, invisible and invisible. Jesus Christ is Lord and King and head and ruler of all of them by an act of God's power, and he is that forever, forever. Notice what he goes on to say. Not only in this age but also in that which is to come. For those of you who took the eschatology class, there's the basic structure of eschatology, isn't it? This age and the age to come. There it is. Jesus has been raised as head and of all things, both in this age and the age to come. One commentator wrote, the resurrection proclaims he lives, and that forever. The exaltation proclaims he reigns, and that forever. And notice what it goes on to say. Verse 22, 
and he put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. Now, this is echoes of Psalm 110 and echoes of Psalm 8. We're going to get into this in, in the weeks ahead as we study this text. But he put all things under his feet. That means he's the Lord over all things. Everything is in subservience to him. And he says this, and gave him to be head over all things, boss, chief, sovereign, king, Lord, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, Paul is praying that we would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know this great power, this energetic power, this working God's power to work for Christ in all that he has done for Christ towards us, that we would be wise to know that this power is operative towards us. Now, why does God, Paul want us to know this? Why does Paul want us to know this? Well, first of all, Paul wants us to know this to the glory of God. God has done great things. God has moved with great power. God has moved with might. And Paul wants us to know the exceeding greatness of his power. He wants us to glorify God for what God has done. But the second thing is this. Paul wants us to understand that this power has been operative in our lives. That this power has touched you. That this power is at work within you. And Paul wants you to know that. He wants you to know that so that this will have a direct impact upon you and I. Think about it. When you think of your salvation, hopefully when you think of your salvation, hey, I'm saved. I'm saved. All my sins are forgiven. Jesus died on the cross for me. I have everlasting life. I'm hoping that you're thinking when you're thinking that. I'm hoping you're thinking, wow, God sure loves me. God, this is grace. This is mercy. God has been good to me. That's all true. It's all glorious. It's certainly one of the major themes of Scripture. But Paul wants to add something here to our thinking. Paul wants you to understand that your salvation was an act of power. That you were saved by power. That it took God's energetic working to save you. That you are actually a model of the power of God. We were saved by the power of God. Paul talks about salvation like this. In Romans 1.16, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew and also for the Greek. Look at that text. Salvation in Paul's mind also is power. Salvation equals power. He said to the Thessalonians this in 1 Thessalonians 1. He said, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You have been saved by an act of power. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting here thinking, ah, well, Todd, yeah, okay, great. But I sure don't feel powerful right now. I feel weak. I feel like my faith is weak. 
I feel like I fall to every temptation that comes along this way. I feel like all I'm doing is battling. I feel like I'm trying to stay on top of my attitude all the time. I feel like this is just one big fight, and in this fight, I kind of maybe if I, maybe I win 50% of the time. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. Right? Sometimes I don't. I don't feel like I got any power at all. I don't feel any more power. I don't feel any more powerful than the guy next door to me. But let's think about this for a minute. Let's think about this for a minute. Number one. I'm going to assume you're sitting here as a Christian. You're sitting here and you're a Christian. I'm going to assume that, okay? You're sitting here and you're a Christian and you are a Christian. Therefore, you're sitting here and you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You do. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ means the world to you. You love him. You're thankful for him. You're thankful for what he's done for you. You love the cross. You're thankful for the cross. It moves you that he died on your behalf. You think he's the son of God. You believe he's the son of God. You rejoice in his resurrection. You, 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 you are excited that you have eternal life and, and you, you will go to heaven when you die. Oh, you're afraid to die. You're scared about dying. I, we get, I get that. You're natural. You're a human being. You weren't made, meant to die. And, and, but nevertheless, nevertheless, through all of that, you know you're going to heaven. You love him. You love Christ. You're interested in the Bible. You came to a church where the Bible gets opened up and studied in detail. You've chosen a church where the Bible is going to be studied in detail. Why? Because you love the Bible. You love the word of God. And you find that when you study the Bible in detail and these words come out to you, that it comes alive and there's a power there and you're experiencing that and you want more of that. And so you come back to a church where the Bible is being taught. You love to worship. You enjoy worship. Worshiping God is meaningful to you. These songs mean something to you. And when you miss worship, you miss it. When you can't be at worship, you miss, and if you have to miss it several weeks in a row, you really start to miss it. These songs express something that is a deep desire and feeling and emotion of your heart. They resonate with your heart. Sometimes you're moved to great joy when you worship. Sometimes you're, you, you weep a tear when you worship. You, you want to grow in grace. You want to be a better Christian. You want to grow. You want to be more holy. You want to be more righteous. You get frustrated with your sin. You hate your sin. You wish you could be done with it. You get tired of, 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 of the things that you do. You aspire to be better and to be holy and to grow and to be more loving and more patient and more kind and more godly and, and less bitter and less angry and less lustful. You, you desire that. And you see the world very different than a lot of people see it, especially non-Christians. You have a God perspective of the world. It's like God put a pair of glasses on you and, whoa, you see the world differently now. And you, you understand it. I have a pair of glasses. I have a Polaroid pair of amber glasses. And I really choose amber glasses when I'm fly fishing. Because when I'm fly fishing with Polaroid amber glasses, as soon as I flip them down, I can see the bottom of the... I can see trout. I can see the, 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 uh, the rocks. I can see where I'm wading. I need those, those glasses. As soon as I flip them down, the stream just comes alive to me. You have that. You have a God perspective on this world, and you see things very different. Now, let me ask you this. For those of you who became Christians later in life, you understand that you are very different than what you used to be. 
Now, for those of you who became Christians really young and early in your life, you may not remember your old self like that, but you have friends and you have relatives and you have people that maybe you went to school with, and you are very different than them now. You are very different. They pick up on it too. You're not the old person you used to be. You are, you are very different. And for them, for non-Christians, none of this stuff is true. They don't find any particular, anything particularly attractive about Jesus at all. They could care less about the cross. Jesus means nothing to them. The Bible is either confusing or boring or stupid or homophobic or misogynist or just uh, a bunch of crazy stories or full of contradictions or uh, the Bible, what, uh, no, I never read it. I have no interest. They have no enjoyment in worship whatsoever, and listening to praise and worship music is not meaningful. It doesn't express the deepest feelings of their heart. They do not necessarily want to be holy. They do not necessarily want to be righteous. They don't want to be godly. They're not frustrated with their sins unless it's the consequences of their sins. I wish I wouldn't keep getting drunk all the time because I keep getting late for work. It might be something like that. They don't see the world through your perspective. They don't uh, they're not alarmed at the direction that the world is going in like you are. They are completely different from you. How did you get the way you are and they're not that way? The power of God. And I'll tell you why you know it's the power of God. Try to change them. Try to change them. You must have a loved one in your life that you would love to come to Christ. You must have a loved one in your life, a, a friend in your life, a, a, you know, a workmate that you just, you love them. And you want them to come to Christ. And you want to talk to them about Jesus, but they have nothing of it. You want to encourage them. They want to, you, you ask them if they want to come to church with you. No. You want to, you want to come to a Bible study? No. Hey, if I give you a book, will you read it? Not really. I'm not interested. No, no matter how hard you try. And if this is one of your kids or one of your siblings... You just wish you had the power to just get in their heart and change it, but you don't, and you're afraid they're going to go to hell, and you, you want them to be saved, but you're powerless. You don't have the power, and what are you recognizing? You're recognizing that it's going to take the power of God to come into their life and to give them new life. That's what it's going to take, and dear friends, that's how you became a Christian. You couldn't save yourself. You were powerless to save yourself. Why? Why were you powerless? Well, look at what Paul goes on to say. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul says, you, now that he made alive, that actually doesn't appear in the original Greek. That doesn't appear until verse 5, but we're English speakers, and we have to have like a main verb before we can move on. But that shouldn't be there. This is the way Paul wrote it. He wrote, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Talk about powerless. You were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now notice this, in which you once walked. That's wild, isn't it? You were a walking dead man, a walking dead woman. We call them zombies. You were a zombie. You were walking, but you were dead spiritually. How were you walking? You were walking according to the course of this world or this age. You were walking according to the prince. Now notice this, of the power of the air. That's the devil. You were walking under the power of Satan. 
There was a power at work in your life. And this is true of all unbelievers, all of those who are lost. You were walking according to the power of Satan, the spirit who now works. There's that energy, that energo, that idea of moving and power and working. He works in the sons of disobedience. You were walking under the power of Christ, Satan, under the power of him at work. That's what the, is going on in the world today. Look at verse 3. Among whom you also once conducted yourselves in the lusts of your flesh. You were under the power of your desires and the desires of your flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath just as the others. What a pathetic, powerless, hurt, uh, hurtful, damnable situation you and I were in. But look at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, here we go, here we go, energeo, dunamis, in, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. What does that mean? Made us alive, I get that, together with Christ. What does that mean? Now, here's where you need, let, let's move on just a little bit, and then I'm going to show you what that means. By grace you have been saved. Then notice verse 6. Raised us up together. Look at the key here. Together, together, together with Christ, together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, notice verse, notice verse 5 and 6. Dead, raised to life, raised up, and seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Now, look at the parallel. Look at the parallel. Jump up to chapter 1 and verse 20. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, dominion and power, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Now drop down to verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the intent. What is Paul saying here? What is Paul doing here? He's saying this. The power. The power that God exercised upon the dead person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the final Adam, the head of a new humanity, the head of a new race, the power that came and raised him up from the dead, and the power that took this living being now that will never die again with an eternal life, the power that raised him to the highest throne on high forever and ever and ever far above all principality and power, is the exact same power that opened your eyes from being under the power of Satan, under the power of spiritual death, under the power of blindness, as a child of wrath, that opens your eyes, opens your heart, gave you a new heart, enabled you to believe, gave you the new birth, gave you the new creation, so that Christ became precious to you. The cross became beautiful to you. Singing his praises became a delight to you. His word became power to you. That is the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. Why? Why is that operative in you? Because you are in union with Christ. You are in union with Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, he chose us. In him, verse 7, in him we have redemption. He goes on and on and on. And now notice what he says. 
this power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him to the highest, all of that power has become operative in our lives too because we are in union with Christ. We are in union with Christ. And so the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that made you a new person. It's the power that raised you from the dead. And even right now, you are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You are there. What does that mean? That means that you're going to heaven. That means you're going to reign with him. That means this thing is absolutely assured because you are still in union with Christ even there. This is the power that is operative in our lives. It's a power. It's here. It saved us. This is the power that gave us new life, gave us new birth. And guess what? It's still operative in you. It's still operative. This is the power that, that, that sanctifies us. This is the power that gives us victory over sin. This is the power that gives us victory over temptation. This is the power that we, that we use. This is the power. It's still operative in you. And so we're to be transformed. We're to be changed. We're to be different people. Why? Because this power is within us. Look at chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 23. We don't have time to go into this, but we've got, a, we've got a lifetime. We're going to be in Ephesians a long time. 4.23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which is created, there's a power term, according to God in true holiness and righteousness and holiness. There is a power at work in you, transforming you and changing you and moving you. And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that exalted him on high. It's the same power. Paul tells us, stop walking in darkness. Look at chapter 5 and verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light and the fruit of the Spirit, which is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You have this power. Walk in this new life that you have. Walk in this resurrection power of Jesus. In verse 18, he says, do not be drunk with wine. Stop getting drunk with wine, he says, which is dissipation. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have power. But I want to focus just in closing on chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong. There's a power term. Be strong in the Lord. And here's two more power terms. And in the power of his might. What? Presently, right now, be strong in this power. Be strong in this power. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand when the devil attacks you. Stand against his lies. Stand and defeat him. Verse 12. For you do not, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here we go. The ones that Jesus was raised far above but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able, power term, to withstand, power term, in the evil day and having done all, to stand. You are in a cosmic spiritual battle. You and I are in a cosmic spiritual battle. And guess what? Powerful forces. Satan. All of the principalities and powers and demons and arch demons and smart demons and powerful demons and wicked demons and ugly demons and grotesque demons and demons of lust and demons of envy and demons of, of lies and demon lying demons. All of them are coming at you. They're coming at you. They're studying you. They're watching you. They're watching to see your vulnerable moments. They're watching to see how they can. They got all kinds of time. They'll slowly take you down the path. They want to destroy. They want to destroy your relationship with Christ. They want to do that. 
You're in a powerful battle. Angels are involved in this. Christ is involved in this. God is involved in this huge cosmic battle. And guess who's one of the most powerful people on the battlefield? Dramatic pause. You. You. You have been raised by the power of Christ. The power of Christ's spirit lives within you. You are a child of God. You are a child of light. You have the power. You have the power. You have power. You have so much power. This is what Paul's trying to help us to understand. In union with Christ, you have so much power that James says this. When the devil, the devil, the chief head Honcho, the president, the premier, the prime minister, the commander-in-chief of all of the legions of hell, when the devil comes against you, what does James tell you to do? Resist him. You. Resist him. And then what does James tell you will happen? He will flee. Do you ever have to flee from something? Get out of here. Grab the stuff. Let's get out of here. No way. I'm out of here. What? No. The Bible says, Christian, you resist the devil. Paul says in Ephesians, be strong in the power of God, in the power of his might. And on that evil day, you withstand. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to stand in the power of God as a resurrected being, as somebody who has the power of Christ that is at work within you. You're going to stand there, and you're going to fight him by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is going to say, I'm out of here. I can't beat this guy. I can't beat this gal. I'm out of here. I'd be better off spending my time on somebody else. I'm getting out of here. You see, dear friends, the devil and his demons, they have the power to tempt you to sin to entice you. They have the power and they will lie at you. They will tell you lies. They will tell you lies about yourself. They will tell you lies about you. You're, you're, you're nothing. You're a nobody. And then, you'll, and then you'll fight that and then they'll say, oh, you're somebody. You're special. You're better than everybody else. Because if they, they want to get you to sin one way or another, they'll lie about God. God doesn't love you. God's not for you. In fact, God doesn't even exist. They'll lie about others. Oh, that person doesn't like you. Oh, that person thinks you're this. Oh, you should hate that person. They will lie. They will try to discourage you. They will try to accuse you of sin. Oh, you remember what you did? If the church knew what you did when you were 16 years old, they will try to lie. They will find your vulnerable time and come after you. But you are in Christ. You have been raised already. You are already a demonstration of the power of God because you love Jesus and you live for him and you love to praise him and you love his word and you're for him and you'll live for him and you'll die for him if need be. That's the power of God. Who could have changed you? Your parents couldn't make that change in you. Your schools couldn't make that change in you. Nothing could make that change in you, but the power of God did. You are in the power of God. You are a demonstration of the power of God. And the power of Christ, you have been raised far above the principalities and powers and demons and all that. And they know that about you. And they'll try to convince you that it's not true about you. 
Dear friends, we need to stop living in the swamps and the dismal shadows of defeat and discouragement and despondency and insecurities and anxieties. Great power has saved you. Great power has saved you. Great power is operative in your life right now. That you are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ who is far above all of those things. Do you not know, Paul says, you will judge angels. You speak the name of Jesus in the power of the spiritual authority that you have as a child of God, as a resurrected one, as one who has new life in Christ. You speak the name of Jesus. You resist the evil one. You resist those temptations. You resist those anxieties. You resist those discouragements. You resist those despondencies as a child of God risen from the dead through the name and the power of Jesus. And the devil will just tremble and run away. Run away. Dear ones, Paul is simply praying that we would know who we are. Oh, dear ones, pray this prayer for yourself. Pray this prayer for yourself. And for those of you who don't know Christ, don't have the power of Christ, don't have, you are, you are under the power of Satan. And you can't save yourself. But Jesus can. And he's willing to. And he saves even today. You flee to him and find your salvation in him. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come to you today with one prayer. One prayer. That you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That the eyes of our hearts would grasp the power that is toward us. Help us, we pray. Answer this prayer, we pray, that we would know what is true about us this moment. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.